book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that we are living in the overflow. Your spirit, may he be poured out upon us May you teach us this morning and open our minds to the truths of your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Cloud gazing. Cloud gazing. I don't know if you've done this before, but when I was younger, on some nice day like today or a summer day when there's a nice breeze, um, a number of us, my family or friends, We'd get a blanket or a sheet, lay it out on the grass, lay down flat, and look at the clouds. Cloud gazing. And it's an activity for enjoyment, kind of peaceful experience. And you look at the clouds and you'd try to point out what shapes they were making. Maybe this one was a horse. Do you see the tail? And this one was a fish. Oh, there's the fin. And the clouds would pass by and do that for, you know, uh, some time. But the activity is, yes, one of enjoyment, one to pass the time by, nothing that would cause you any, any uh, anxiety or a reason to be anxious. However, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we have cloud gazing, but it is the opposite of peaceful enjoyment. In fact, I would say that it's more about worrying. Cloud gazing. The book of Acts begins with a type of summary interlude. Bible scholars and theologians believe, believe it to have been written by Luke, who's a physician, and 
who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. All right, so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, also potentially wrote the, uh, the book of Acts. The introduction gives a brief retelling of the last events of Jesus that connects to the Gospel of Luke, or excuse me, that connects the Gospel of Luke to the first chapter of Acts. So you have the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, and then you have this continuation into the book of Acts. And uh, in writing, the book of Acts is addressed to someone named Theophilus. In fact, both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are addressed to the same person. And it is believed that this individual was a person of high social ranking, likely a Gentile, which Luke was then recounting the life and works of Jesus uh, to him and also the works of the apostles thereafter. And so in Acts chapter 1, it gives this introduction, and then it clips to the scene of Christ's ascension, and then it begins following the story of the disciples and the the apostles thereafter. So if you have your Bibles with you or you're reading along, following along, I'm in Acts chapter 1 where our text of emphasis was, and I'm reading from verse 1. It says this, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After this suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, when I read the Bible, specifically the Gospels, when I read portions of scripture where the naivety and the foolishness of the disciples really stands out, I have to stop and remind myself that along with them, (laughs) me and many of us today, we're really the same. We never really get it. Why do I say that? Okay, let me give you a brief recap of what has transpired up until this point, starting from the Gospels, okay? Beginning at Christ's descension, right? Jesus is born of a virgin during a time where the Jews were subjected to Roman rule, okay? And so Jesus walks this earth for 33 and a half years, and he spends three and a half of his years doing public ministry, healing, teaching, serving the people around him. The topic of his teaching typically revolved around describing what the kingdom of heaven is like, what God the Father is like, and who he was, he himself. And so he tried to help his quarreling 12 disciples see that the kingdom of heaven is not about competition and ascending to power, but humility 
and descending to serve. He tried to explain that the power and the truth of the kingdom is reflected in a deep disinterest of selfish gain and a heart for the other. He tried to tell them that the kingdom of heaven would be populated by people from every walk of life, Jews and Gentiles, for all those who had faith in him. And after the three and a half years of his public ministry, Jesus Christ goes to the cross and he dies for the sins of the world. He then resurrects after three days and spends 40 days continuing to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God and the significance of the prophetic messages of the Hebrew scriptures, how he had fulfilled them. And now we come to this point as he prepares to ascend and leave earth, the disciples ask this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? After all the time that they had spent with Jesus, all the lessons they were supposed to be learning, the disciples were still focused on the earthly greatness of the Jews, still focused on being superiors of the Romans. What Jesus had just done by coming down from heaven, living a spotless life, dying on the cross, and rising again, they had distilled it down to a work that accomplished the very small reality of reinstating the kingdom of Israel to the heights of power. The sacrifice God made for the sins of the entire world, they thought he did it to elevate them above the Romans, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. But the truth is, the battle that Christ won at Calvary, at the cross, was infinitely and eternally greater than any earthly battle against the Romans. The battle that Christ won against sin and death impacted the entire world with waves and quakes that would reach beyond their current generation until the end of time. What God had done was so big, they didn't properly comprehend it. He literally broke the hold of sin and death for the entire world. And they were talking about the Romans and greatness of Jews. They didn't get it. They completely missed the point. The picture was entirely out of focus. And I wonder, if the disciples were out of focus then, with Jesus in their very presence literally explaining the realities of the kingdom of God, where are we now? Where are we now? We can spend years with Jesus, 
years of knowing the Lord, serving with him and for him, reading the scriptures, praying every day, and still be focused on things that are contrary to the mission of God and irrelevant to salvation. Keep that in mind. Irrelevant to salvation. Verse seven reads this way. Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Look, Jesus was basically saying, don't worry about that. Why? Because the reign of the kingdom of Israel had its appointed time, it had its appointed season, and that had come to an end. Instead, Jesus redirects them and tells them, look, you will be my witnesses once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you won't just be witnesses to the Jews, you'll be witnesses to the entire world. The picture is bigger. The picture is bigger. So then, as you begin to read this account in the book of Acts, it's very interesting how not smooth at all (laughs) the transition was from witnessing to the Jews to then witnessing to the Gentiles. It took a second. There were a couple hiccups before They understood. Because it was almost as if the apostles had forgotten not only what Jesus had told them about eventually reaching the world, which would include Gentiles, but also they seemed to misunderstand that the chosen people are not simply Jews by birth, but the chosen are the children of faith. It is the children of faith in Jesus Christ that are the descendants of Abraham. And it's the same thing today. The victory at the cross and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift for all of God's children of faith, including those who wear boldly or privately a flag of rainbows. It's June, Pride Month. Look at verse 9. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, or excuse me, while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I have two words. Cloud gazing. Cloud gazing. A cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, 
men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Great question. Great question, the angels asked. Let's recap for a second. The disciples had lost Jesus once before when he died at the cross. They weren't ready for that when it happened. They were surprised, even though he had told them. And now he was leaving them again, and they were paralyzed in the moment, watching as he disappeared for the second time. They stared into the sky until they couldn't see him anymore, cloud gazing, their focus frozen, cloud gazing. And as they're there staring, they didn't even notice it, but two angels approached them and asked them, why are you staring? And then they assured them that Jesus was coming back the same way that he left. Question, how intently do you look for something that you're 100% sure is coming? Okay, how intently do you look for something that you're 100% sure is coming? You don't look very intently, for example, the sun. I don't look for it because I know it's going to be there. However, I understand that it 100% impacts the outline of my day-to-day activity. It impacts the decisions I make because the sun will go down, so I map out my day in accordance with that. So it impacts what I do on a day-to-day basis. Now, let me give you another example. New York City subway. Okay? We're going to try the trains. <laughs> Although, you know, they're, they're not as dependable as we'd like them to be sometimes, but go with me, all right? When you have no worries that the train will come, you know, you keep yourself occupied until it pulls up. For me, I'm scrolling on Instagram, Facebook, I'm, I'm relaxed, I'm waiting, I know the train's coming, all right, cool. But then, when it begins taking an abnormally long time, or it's past the time it should have arrived, you start looking down the tracks, you're anxious, start checking your time, you check the phone, you might even hop on the MTA app, see if there's some delays. What's the status? You start wondering why the the other side of the track had like three trains pass, and you're still waiting for yours. You're like, what's going on? You're not at ease in any way. Now follow me. The disciples, they thought they would never see Jesus again, which is why they were so paralyzed in watching him disappear into the sky. Where did he go? With an intent gaze on where Jesus had left. I imagine they were worried. Is he gonna come back? Worried that they would never see Jesus again, to which the angels responded with assurance. 
They said, this Jesus, this same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here's the thing, Let me, let's connect this, let's connect this. Speaking to my fellow Adventists and end time prophecy lovers, I love prophecy too. Here's the lesson. Don't be so focused on the future return of Jesus Don't be so caught up gazing into the clouds that it keeps you paralyzed for service and action in the present. They were frozen. They didn't even see the angels come up. Just there watching. But Jesus had given them instructions. Get busy. Now, I know a number of religious folk that could tell you the prophecies of Scripture front and back. They gotta memorize, they can quote to you this psalm, that psalm. They can map out the prophecies in correlation with history and the, the latter chapters of Daniel 10, 11, 12. They've got every suggested interpretation for all the enigmas of the Bible, yet they've never signed themselves up to fight for a cause of justice. Never took time to feed the hungry. Never took time to care for the sick. Never took time to stand for something when injustices have occurred in society. But they'll be quick to tell you how to get your life together to be ready for Jesus' coming. What we don't realize is that it is in the act of service to others that we actually prepare for Jesus' coming. That is the preparation. We don't have to put all the focus on the fact that he will come back. We're assured of that. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said it himself, God cannot lie. He will come back. The angels said it as well. Instead, we focus on what God has told us to do before he comes back. If you have to keep checking over and over the prophecies and reading up on the latest interpretation of peoples and and proposals on the end of the world, it's possible that you may be trying to reassure yourself that the train is still coming. You're not sure? You know, let me check this again. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? The prophecies of Scripture are there as an assurance of God's promise of return and confidence in who he says he is. It is actually advantageous to be aware of what the prophecies of Scripture have said and even know what others have said about it. But don't let that consume you and cause you to become unrelatable and ineffective in this present age. Some people will see craziness happening in the world and the response is, oh, well, everything's going to burn anyway. (laughs) Which may be true, (laughs) but also not the right response. What can you do? 
We were chatting the other day as a staff up on the balcony and talking about this concept. And Stephen, Stephen Eric, our chaplain, he said, have you heard of armchair theologians? I said, armchair theologians? No, what's that? People who talk theology but don't do theology. People who like to sit and have discussions and go deep. Talk for hours. Well, brother, sister, have you heard of this? And this prophecy and this. Talk for hours. But don't do anything. Won't move a foot. Won't move a hand to serve somebody else. So first, the disciples were focused on the kingdom of Israel. Then they were focused on Jesus leaving and never returning. So the question remains, where should we be focused? What was the resurrection of Jesus trying to point the disciples to? Now there could be a few answers to this, but here's what I propose. The resurrection of Jesus was pointing the apostles to people. People. Laboring for people. Communicating an earthquaking message to people, all nations, all tribes, all cliques, all communities from every walk of life. I want this message scattered, everyone, people, yet they stood there cloud gazing. Matthew 24 is the chapter that talks about signs of the end of time. And in verse 45 through 47, Jesus is talking about the uh, wise steward and the unwise steward. And he says this, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household, watch this, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. The parable highlights the idea that while Jesus is away, it is those who are actively working to meet the needs of others who will be ready when he returns. The Old Testament put it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Did you hear that? Do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6.8, the prophet Micah. Along with the spreading of this news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our focus should be on people. How does the gospel impact the relationships between you and other people around you? How does the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, 
repair the breach and the breakdown of earthly relationships. Relationships of your family, your friends, people in need, people who are living lives very different than your own. What does the gospel do to repair those breaches? Whether it's the active telling of the gospel story or simply living by the words of the prophet Micah, which we just looked at, just know that cloud gazing is not for the people of God, nor is the elevation of one nation over another because of some belief that, that one is chosen or the elect of God. You know, it was in the day-to-day -day service and work of the Lord that the apostles were able to confront their own biases and oppressive belief systems. If you go ahead and take some time, read through the book of Acts, and you'll see Peter had some hiccups. Paul had some hiccups. The, the stars of the book of Acts, which is really the Holy Spirit, but these secondary characters, they had some hiccups. And it was only through working with God that they were able to confront those misunderstandings in their lives, in their understanding, in their mentality, in how they saw the world, in their perspective. It's in service that God changes us. You start to see things differently. All of the apostles had to confront their personal beliefs about the Gentiles. The same has to happen today. The gospel causes us to confront any beliefs or behaviors that don't harmonize with the kingdom of God. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ should impact us to, to, to the point of setting aside our own understanding of the world sometimes and realizing that what God did is an event that's so profound, so divine, completely globally impactful for every individual that we have to stop, that we will stop, and nothing to make sure that everyone, all, get to hear and experience this story, this reality, for themselves. Let no one be excluded from the mission of God or the table of God. Why? Because God didn't exclude anyone from salvation. The plan of salvation is broad and wide and deep, and everyone is included in it. Provision for everyone. So what do we do now? Well, not cloud gazing. <laughs> but you get your hands dirty. You start volunteering, serving. We've been working on this Advent Hope Volunteer Initiative, get your hands dirty. We're coming with more opportunities for you to get connected with the community. And then, is Brooke here today? 
Brooke Pierce, I don't think she's here, but she sends out this newsletter, this social justice newsletter of ways you can impact your community around you. I'll make sure we have some way for you to connect with her. But get outside of your comfort zone. Engage with people who walk a different path in life. Read and reflect on the life of Jesus and do that. Don't spend your time cloud gazing. Spend it serving others. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Then may God make it your experience. Amen.